Where was the army? Where was the police? There will be a wide-ranging investigation into the security failings this weekend, and while some of that inevitably will focus on the intelligence, or lack of it, the more troubling aspect of what unfolded is just how easy it was for Hamas to penetrate Israeli defences. The southern part of the country is separated from Gaza by a 40-mile perimeter fence, six metres tall, beneath which there is an underground concrete barrier to stop Palestinians tunnelling beneath. Normally, the Palestinians are not allowed within 300 metres of that fence. There are Israeli guard towers every 500 feet, and it is fixed with hundreds of cameras, radars, sensors that provide the IDF with an early warning system. On Saturday, using drones, Hamas bombed the towers and the communications infrastructure to disrupt the Israeli response. The first wave of Hamas fighters paraglided over uh, the fence. The bulldozers, bulldozers did the rest, allowing enough space for the bigger vehicles to drive through. That supposedly impenetrable fence was breached in 29 different positions. Where was the IDF? Let's talk then to a man who might know a bit more about it. Mark Dubovitz is the CEO of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, a non-partisan think tank that seeks a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict uh, that advances American interests and protects Israel security. That's a, a good background of where you come at this from, Mark, just so our audience knows. Um, pick, pick up on, on what we've just been talking about. I mean, that fence, which I've seen with my own eyes, is supposed to be impenetrable. It was cut in 29 places. There are guard towers every 500 feet. Where on earth was the IDF? Yeah, look, I think no fence is impenetrable, um, especially against a, a resolute uh, terrorist organization that has been trained and weaponized by, uh, by Iran. Um, I, but I think there was a, truly a failure both of technology but also of conception. I think uh, Israel, the UK, the United States, uh, Egypt, many countries around the world had wrongly believed that Hamas had become pragmatic. I had stayed out of recent uh, operations against Israel that Islamic Jihad, its partner, had fought. And there was a belief that they had the responsibility of two million Palestinians uh, to govern and they, that they wouldn't launch this kind of operation that would put their own citizens in harm's way. And people have asked, particularly the families of the hostages who were taken, whether the encouragement that the right-wing government in Tel Aviv gave to settlers in the West Bank and the reprisals and reaction that came from the, the Palestinians in response, whether that is indirectly to blame for the lack of troop numbers on the Gaza border this weekend, because a lot of the speculation is that those troops who would ordinarily be there had been moved to the West Bank. With the internal divisions and the, the Israeli government policies, are they part what to blame for this? Look, I think, I think that the internal divisions are an issue. I think that what your viewers need to understand more importantly, is that uh, Iran has had a long-standing strategy of surrounding Israel with a ring of fire on every border, moving weapons and fighters uh, to every border. They have, over the past year, lit up the West Bank uh, through Hamas and Islamic Jihad, which were threatening the Palestinian Authority, but also threatening Israelis inside the West Bank. And there were a number of uh, major terrorist attacks emanating from the West Bank that hit Israeli civilians in places like Tel Aviv and elsewhere. So the IDF was forced to move troops from the Gaza border into the West Bank to counter Hamas and Islamic Jihad, uh, again, who've been Iranian trained and weaponized. So that certainly left a, a great vulnerability and, and gap in the southern border, and, and we've seen the results. On the issue of Iran, Mark, I know that you, you speak to a lot of intelligence officials. There is a senior Israeli official, unquoted, but 
senior in the government saying tonight that Iran was aware of the operation, effectively gave the green light to Hamas attacks. We've had reporting from the Wall Street Journal that there was this meeting between Iranian security officials and Hamas in Beirut last Monday. Why is the White House falling over itself to say we don't see any of that intelligence? We've had Jake Sullivan on again today saying we don't see the dots at this moment in time. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I think President Biden has been uh, terrific uh, in terms of providing unwavering support uh, against this kind of vicious terrorism emanating from Hamas. But I think he's been loath to point a direct finger in Iran because I think to, to do so would to admit the failure not only the Biden administration's Iran policy, but the failure of the Obama administration's Iran policy. So I, I think there's a lot, a lot of politics, unfortunately, taking place in Washington. Uh, Republicans are, are hammering the presidents on this issue. And the White but, House but is, is it just that, Mark? Or, I mean, obviously, if he says, yes, there was, that demands a response from the Israeli government. And clearly that would then shine a, a light, put the focus on Hezbollah, because they are the proxy in the region and they are the, the best armed proxy in the region. And presumably what they're terrified of is this going beyond Israel's borders into, into neighboring countries, which it has the potential to do. Yeah, I think it's the opposite, actually. I mean, I think that if the White House were to explicitly come out and point a finger at Iran and make it very clear to Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei of Iran that if he lights up the northern border with Hezbollah, uh, the United States will respond. I think that is a way to de-escalate, in fact, is to actually prevent Hezbollah from jumping in and lighting up the northern border and causing a regional conflagration. So I think the White House and their reluctance to explicitly mention Iran um, may, in, in the end, lead to a result that both President Biden and Jake Sullivan don't want to see. The defense minister said today that Gaza, quotes, will never return to what it was. What does he mean by that? Well, I, I think that the Israelis have now uh, made a decision that they want to end the rule of Hamas in Gaza. Look, you know, under, under Hamas, not only have Israelis suffered terribly, but Palestinians have suffered terribly. I mean, Hamas commits double war crimes. They massacre Israeli civilians. They use their own civilians as human shields. And I think that there's now a, a decision that's been made. And I think that, by the way, that decision is supported uh, by the United States, by Egypt, by Gulf countries. I think there's now a growing recognition that the savagery of the terrorist attacks that we saw over the past few days in Israel has to end the rule of Hamas, both for Israelis and Palestinians and, and for broader... And, and give the keys to US who, though? If, you, if you're standing there, you decapitate Hamas, which is clearly the intention. Who do you give the keys to? Well, I, th I think you give the keys to a hopefully responsible, pragmatic Palestinian leadership. I mean, I, I, look, you got to remember, I mean, Hamas took over Gaza after Israel withdrew every soldier, every civilian, every grave. They took over. And when take, taking over, it was a vicious Palestinian civil war. They, uh, they executed members of uh, the Palestinians. Members of their own. Yeah, people of their that. own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they threw them from, they threw them from buildings. Yeah. They, they shot them in kneecaps. So, I mean, you know, the, a more pragmatic Palestinian leadership has to take over. Uh, I think that has to be done in cooperation with the Egyptians, with the Gulf Arabs, uh, with the United States, hopefully with the UK and others. But okay. we have to end finally, after, you know, decades of Hamas terrorism, vicious terrorism, we have to end their rule, not, not just for Israel's sake, but for the sake of peace in the Middle East, which just, is, I think, everything we're looking for. Just a quick final one. Um, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's en route uh, to Tel Aviv. Coming with him is the Deputy Special Envoy for Hostage Affairs, Steve Gillen, uh, who I'm sure you probably are aware of, you know. Um, what does he bring to the, to, the, to the discussions in Tel Aviv? I mean, how much 
involvement will he be given? There are, I think we're talking about 17 Americans that are missing tonight. How, how important is it for the administration to recover those hostages? And, and is there a risk that actually this puts a wedge between the Israeli and the American government? Because, of course, it gives Hamas some leverage over Washington. Yeah, look, I, I think that I think there are shared interests between the United States and Israel, obviously, to get their people back. I mean, I think the, Israel has vast experience from the Entebbe raid, uh, trying to get hostages back. Certainly, Israel has been willing to to trade a thousand uh, Palestinian terrorists for one Israeli soldier. The United States has a lot of experience in negotiation. I, I, I'm not optimistic. I have to say it's 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 tragic. I, I don't see many of those hostages coming back. Um, but I think there's an attempt to, to try and find a way, um, perhaps, to get, uh, to get women and children and, and uh, disabled old people. I don't know. I, 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 Hamas is ruthless and brutal and certainly has made it very clear they're going to execute these mm -hmm. hostages. I want to just make, make one other final point. Um, a lot of people have been asking about, you know, what about Palestinians? Where can they go? There, there is the Rafah border crossing into Egypt. Uh, there's a vast open territory of Sinai, which is part of Egypt. I would hope to see, you know, the Egyptians actually opening that border, mm. refugees going, um, Palestinian refugees going to Sinai. And then the five countries that have provided the most support to Hamas over these years, funding and weaponizing them, Iran, Qatar, Turkey, Kuwait and Algeria, should be uh, asked by the international community to take these Palestinian refugees uh, and provide them safe haven. The Palestinians have a place to go, and it's through that Egyptian border to the five five countries that have weaponized yeah. Hamas that's been used against them. Okay, uh, we'll have to leave it there, Mark. There is a discussion I know ongoing tomorrow to talk about that exit through the Rafah crossing. Uh, we'll focus on that perhaps a little later. Uh, Mark, for the moment, thank you very much for coming on the program. Thank you, sir.